Caveat Realtor with Virginia Realtors, where we discuss the real issues that realtors face. I'm Austin Dunn. And I'm Aaron Barton. Remember, Caveat Realtor is meant to provide general legal information. Nothing we discuss should be considered as legal representation or legal advice. Aaron, how are you today? I'm good, Austin. How are you? I'm doing great. That is great. You know what today is? What's today? Today is our birthday. All right. That's exciting. It is our 52nd episode. We have put out an episode every week for a year. That's, I mean, that's great. That is exciting. It is amazing. We have 3,000 subscribers. We've got some great feedback from our members. And we wanted to put out a special episode for you guys to thank you so much for being great listeners. Absolutely. So thank you. Let's um, get started with today's topic. Well, today's topic, uh, we are going to touch on some issues outside of the law and regulations that have come up in the courts recently, just to keep you guys uh, updated. All right. So we're going to start with an important decision out of Fairfax County. Um, the circuit court ruled on May 11th in the case of Daly versus Gulick Group that a purchaser cannot rescind a contract more than three days after receiving an incomplete POA packet under the Virginia Code. So just to briefly state the facts of this case, the purchasers entered into a contract for a home in a neighborhood governed by POA, and the sellers provided disclosure documents to the purchasers on September 29th of last year. On November 29th, the purchasers requested an updated or complete disclosure packet, to which the sellers responded that their request was not timely. So then the sellers attempted to cancel the contract on December 11th. And the court ruled that nothing in the Virginia Code gives the purchaser a right to rescind a contract based solely on a request for an update to the disclosure packet. The judge noted that because the code clearly sets forth what is required in a packet, purchasers will definitively know within three days of receipt whether the packet is incomplete. If so, they can either cancel the contract within those three days or forge ahead with an incomplete packet. The judge said that the case might have turned out differently if the buyer had requested the updated packet during the three-day period, but since those were not the facts before the court, the judge did not make a ruling on that situation. Right, and we always teach that the law is unsettled in this area, and this particular case doesn't really provide statewide clarity. The precedent only exists in Fairfax County, but this could be an opportunity for the Supreme Court of Virginia to weigh in and give a definitive statewide decision. Also, judges are pretty good about not reinventing the wheel, so judges in other jurisdictions may look at this case and use the same logic rather than ruling in a different way. Alternatively, um, the General Assembly could take up this issue when it reconvenes in January and alter the code one way or the other. So in the meantime, Aaron, how can you play it safe? Well, as we always tell you when we teach, Your assumption regarding when the rescission clock starts running depends on which side of the transaction you're on. So if you're the buyer, assume that as soon as you get anything resembling a disclosure packet, your three-day clock starts going. Conversely, if you're on the seller side, assume that the buyer's period to cancel doesn't start running until you deliver every single required part of the packet. 
If you operate under these rules, you should be safe regardless of how clear or unclear the law is. All right, so moving on to other legal topics. Um, the legal team here has been busy. We've been asked by members um, and or their attorneys to weigh in on some important legal issues by filing amicus briefs with the Supreme Court of Virginia. And we should probably explain what an amicus brief is. Amicus curiae, which means friend of the court, is a legal mechanism that allows people who aren't involved in a particular lawsuit, but who have an interest in the outcome of that lawsuit, to provide support for one side or the other. The justices take these briefs into consideration when ruling on a case. So far this year, we've written briefs on several issues that are important to our members from areas across the state. We wrote an amicus brief on a case that involved mold liability for property owners under the common law that arose under Hampton Roads, and we just finished a brief on a case out of Fairfax regarding vested rights and nonconforming uses. We've also written briefs for cases involving commission issues between a realtor and a client, or on cases that involve the Virginia Realtor Standard Forms. If you're involved in a case that's making its way to the Supreme Court, please reach out to us with that information. While we don't have the ability to write a brief for every case that comes before us, we want to look at the issues that are affecting our members across the state. This is a way for us to help not only the individual plaintiffs or defendants, whatever the case may be, but also to influence law that will affect every member or the property rights of owners, which could ultimately affect your business. Along with our amicus writing, we're also rolling out some new resources for our members. We're going to broadcast a couple of webinars this summer. They'll be relatively short, we're thinking around 30 minutes, where we'll have online presentations where we will provide information for you and take your questions. The first one on our agenda is New Laws on June 20th, where we plan on talking about um, new laws, mostly which will take effect on July 1st, passed by the General Assembly this session. We'll also be doing one this summer on business entity formation and licensure. If you have any ideas for additional webinars like this, we'd love to hear your input. So, Aaron, let's take it to the legal hotline. Since there aren't really hotline questions about the topic this week, we decided to do a greatest hits of some of the questions we've answered over the last year. The first one is, we have a client that wants to use cryptocurrency in the real estate transaction. I don't have any experience with cryptocurrency. What are my obligations to my client? Well, you always want to make sure that you're competent in the area in which you practice, pursuant to Article 11 of the Code of Ethics. You typically think of Article 11 as requiring competency in different types of real estate transactions, like commercial transactions versus residential. There could certainly be a risk in guiding a client through a transaction where you do not understand how the finances work. In this case, it would be prudent to seek outside assistance from someone who regularly deals with cryptocurrencies, such as another realtor, and also encourage your client to seek representation from an attorney or work with a title company who's familiar with cryptocurrency transactions. You would also want to disclose that you are not familiar with cryptocurrencies and allow the client to make an informed decision on whether to proceed with your services. All right, our next question, when representing a seller and a buyer as a dual agent, should I disclose to the buyer that the seller has told me that the property will go to foreclosure in 30 days? Uh, the law would prohibit you from sharing this information. This is where a dual agency really has the potential to become problematic. This is information that would clearly benefit the buyer if they had knowledge of it. And in a standard agency relationship, or even a designated agency relationship, you would definitely take this information to your client, and the two of you would figure out how you wanted to deal with the situation. However, in a dual agency situation, this is confidential information that can only be disclosed with the client's permission. 
The dual agent cannot advise either party on this type of issue, and while that may seem counterintuitive to agents, it is one of the main reasons many licensees choose to stay away from dual agency. Our next question, I was really unhappy with how a contractor treated some of my clients. I was complaining to a real estate licensee about him, and she immediately said that she would make sure never to use him and would tell her colleagues not to use him either. What should I have done differently? When she suggested that, you should have told her not to do that because it was anti-competitive behavior. It's important to stop any discussions that could be violating antitrust law and disassociate yourself by voicing opposition. In the future, you could avoid these types of situations by complaining about the contractor without mentioning the name or complain to someone who is not a competitor in the industry, for example, your broker or another agent within your firm. Even though the intention was not to create any type of group boycott, remember, antitrust laws do not require intent. All right, so the POA is saying that I cannot use one of my for sale signs on my client's property, even though the client has authorized it. Can they do this? As of last year, there is new language in the POA Act prohibiting the association from requiring the use of their sign or any real estate sign that does not comply with the real estate board regulations unless it's in their declaration. Remember that the declaration is the underlying governing documents. If the POA's declaration does not limit this, then they cannot require you to use one of their signs or prohibit you from using a sign that meets the minimum requirements from the real estate board. Language also gives the association the authority to regulate placement of the signs, how they're affixed to the property, and how quickly after settlement the sign must be removed. Okay, next question. I have a business partner who wants to offer agents ownership interests in her mortgage company. I know that these agents will likely refer business to the mortgage company after receiving an ownership interest. How can these agents go through with this type of venture without violating RESPA? Under RESPA, a person is allowed to receive a thing of value from an affiliated business arrangement as long as it is a return on that person's ownership interest in the business. However, the ownership interest cannot be tied in any way to the number of referrals a person makes. So in this case, she may offer ownership interest in her mortgage company to agents and qualify as an affiliated business arrangement under RESPA as long as each agent makes a capital contribution, his or her ownership interest is in proportion to the capital contribution made, any dividends the company issues are in proportion to ownership interest, and adjustments in ownership interest are not made based on the number of referrals made to the mortgage company. And Austin, it's important to note that if you're working in an affiliated business arrangement, there are very specific disclosure requirements in the RESPA law that have to be made to all clients. So it would be important to review those and follow those very closely. Thank you for joining us. Caveat Realtor is a weekly podcast with episodes released every Tuesday. Our podcast is available for streaming through iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Subscribe to our podcast to get automatic updates when we have new episodes and be sure to rate us. Remember, members of Virginia Realtors have access to our legal hotline where we can provide you with legal information. You can access the legal hotline on the Virginia Realtors website under the legal tab on the four members section. Make sure you're logged in to see this page. All of the members of this podcast are attorneys. The legal information in this program is not a substitute for personalized legal advice from an attorney licensed to practice in your jurisdiction. The information provided by Virginia Realtors is a general reference work as a public service and does not constitute solicitation or provision of legal advice. We provide this general legal information on an as-is basis. 
We make no warranties and disclaim liability for damages resulting from its use. Legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and laws are constantly changing. The information provided in this program should not be used as a substitute for the advice of competent counsel. This has been a production of Virginia Realtors, copyright 2018. This podcast features the song, Please Listen Carefully by Jazar, available under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Like License.